Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back, OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. We are live in downtown Nashville at our 6th and Peabody broadcast studios. Old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer, we love both. There are 28 flavors, I believe is the number right now, 28 flavors that you can buy here of Old Smoky Moonshine. A lot of people in the building here today, right outside of our window at 6th and Peabody, having a great time. We're having a good time as well. We've got Jason Fitzgerald coming up. Uh, he is with, Paul, tell us who he's with again. He's with... Uh, Over the Over Cap. Over the Cap. Yeah, Sorry. I was going <laughs> to... For some reason, I was thinking you put off, me on the spot. I was thinking I off the out. cap, and I'm thinking this is Paul's guest, so I'm going to go to him, and then he didn't know it either. Overthecap.com. Yes. He's got excellent information. So, we're going to talk to him about the uh, this will uh, be good. Teams getting out of trouble, and particularly what drove me to him was this idea of all this potential quarterback movement, and it's not just the numbers that teams. Uh, I, I want to get into this with him. What teams have to take on in trading for a quarterback. But what quarterbacks leave behind, what players leave behind when traded, and, and the dent that leaves on your cap, you have to take a big hit to deal away a quarterback. Philadelphia last year had one of the biggest dead cap hits in history, maybe the biggest with Carson Wentz, in order to get out from under that. So we'll talk in detail about that. Well, and I like that we're having him on because I think that uh, there's a lot of things that we just hear that sometimes can be pretty lazy. One of them is that the Rams are in uh, a financial hell. And, and salary cap hell, and uh, I'm reading uh, uh, Jordan Rodrigue with uh, I think that's how you Rodriguez. pronounce it, uh, Rodriguez from uh, She's excellent. from the Athletic who covers the team, and she said it's not true. Uh, there's a lot of things that's about to be done where it's going to free up a lot of cap room. So we can get into that with Jason. Some some myths out there about the salary cap in this NFL offseason. So looking forward to that. It is the NFL offseason. Football, obviously, America's game. Always top of mind. We're always going to talk football every day right here on Outkick 360. No doubt about it. It could be May, it could be October, whenever. We're talking football. But it is the football offseason right now, Paul, and you could say, hey, the offseason never ends, and that's true. We're talking about draft and everything else. But the Super Bowl ending and us getting to this week of the calendar year actually led me to turn my mind a little bit to Major League Baseball. So I started doing some research, and I started reading stories about the lockout. We knew a lockout was happening, but no one cared because football was here, and everyone was focused on football, and rightfully so. Football is now over. At least the playing of football is over, and we can turn our attention to the fact that both sides are pretty far off right now. And pitchers and catchers should have reported on Monday, I believe. Pitchers and catchers reported on Monday. They've already announced that games won't start until March 5th, at the earliest. Spring training games. So spring training games, we're going to start February 25th, and now we'll start March 5th at the earliest. No announcement yet on the start of the season, opening day being pushed back, any of that. 
But, Paul, we've now entered a window, and I don't have the history of every lockout and strike in front of me and how quickly these things come together, how quickly they fall apart. But both these sides had a 15-minute meeting last time they got together. That was not very productive. Now, the league has come back, and they turned over 106 pages of documents. That's their proposal to end the lockout to the Major League Baseball's player union. One of the big concessions for Major League Baseball, and there's a lot of issues to go down, obviously 106 pages of legally written documents. One of the big concessions for Major League Baseball was a a raise in minimum wage, basically, for Major League Baseball players. And it was pretty significant. It was $125,000, I think, in a raise for first-year players, second-year players, all on a different scale. Um, But at issue are things like the, the luxury, the tax, and the threshold for that. Players are arguing this is stopping teams from spending money. It definitely is. And it takes money from us. Cyclically, at least. And their argument is also if you raise the threshold for that, you're going to raise the competition level because more teams will spend up to that and you'll have more good teams across the board in Major League Baseball, which will help the fans, which is a a pretty good argument. Um, But there's a lot of things going on, Paul, that they're just way off on right now. They're going to have a full week of meetings next week in hopes to hammer this thing out and get it done by the end of next week. But from everything I've read about this lockout, I don't think they're very close to making that happen. And that frightens me a bit that we could be staring down the barrel of maybe not a completely canceled season, but a shortened Major League Baseball season. And deadlines make deals. But they just had a shortened season. It was going to be shortened to some degree by COVID. But uh, then they you know, realized that there was uh... – you know, they could play a minimal season and it would benefit them uh, most without fans being in the buildings. Um, and they settled on something that was unsatisfactory to most of us. Uh, look, we understand uh, where baseball factors in for most people. Chad and I are baseball fans. We like the dailiness of our team having a result. Um, you know, we don't necessarily sit down and watch nine innings. Uh, we like it on as a background thing. We like to, you know, and then you, you know, you know, you, you pay closer attention when Well, I want to watch my Braves comes. defend their title. Right. I'm a little bummed out that uh, the Braves, you know, finally win a world championship since 1995 in my lifetime, and I may not get to see them defend that title. And I want to watch my Yankees revamp a, a roster that has, you know, needs a shortstop and a center fielder and a first baseman, which is a lot of action, and the Yankees are pretty good at, at uh, taking part in their action, and they're frozen right now, and you, you know, the hot stove moves ha- haven't happened yet. So, um, you know, there's a big minor league issue, too, which uh, it fascinates me, the, team's un- the, the league's unwillingness to invest. You know, I understand it's a long shot with a 20th round pick, but these guys are now writing testimonials and Twitter threads about, you know, seven of us sleep on air mattresses in a, in a dump. Uh, we don't know how long we're going to be there. We're all eating McDonald's and working side jobs to make ends meet, to send a little money home or to, to support our families or whatever. And I would think at some point one of the big franchises would, you know, build dormitories on their complexes and take care of their guys and, and worry about nutrition and, and try to decrease the stressors on players they're trying to turn into products. And if you hit on one of those guys, it would be worth it if that guy became uh, – you know, an ERA champ for you or hit 30 dingers for you that you'd say, hey, that nutrition center that we had for our minor leaguers was worth it. And instead they treat these guys like, uh, you know, fast food workers or, or whatever. So here's my thing with that. Why do you have so many teams? 
Yeah. If that's the issue and you, you've got to treat your, you know, your group like uh, some of the homeless encampment that we saw in L.A., with minor league baseball players, you got too many minor league teams. Well, I think they've and too many minor league systems at that point. Like the, the, the market should work itself out where there should be contraction from minor league baseball, and we need to eliminate not just teams but leagues yeah. in the minor league. Contract it to a proper point, and then at that point, treat those people like they're commodities for your organization who are you want to groom and grow. What other sport? I mean. I don't know what the D-League guys do, but I get the sense that basketball, football certainly treats the practice squad guys well because it wants them to ultimately be able to help their team. Uh, baseball's a longer development process, but certainly you want to give those guys a better chance than some of these guys sound like they're getting. Baseball always gets in its own way and screws things up, and these issues, it seems to me, take time, and they go too long during these stoppages of, oh, we'll get to it, they always need a ticking clock and to be up against the deadline and uh, labor and management. That just uh, They're both at fault. They're both at fault, but the players are on the right side of this for the most part, in my eyes, and they generally are in most of these disputes. The billionaires are, are not willing to give in some areas that they're not being asked to give a hell of a lot. I think that some of these billionaires, though, and if you really crack open the books – they're not all making a ton off the baseball investment every time. It's not like the NFL. Nothing's like the NFL. Nothing's like the NFL. In America in terms of sheer profit and what they're investing in it and what they're getting back. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And here is where if you bring up there may not be a Major League Baseball season or any season in pro sports, the immediate public reaction is typically going to be backlash against the players, players in that sport. And here's the reason. And I'm not saying this is right, but this is just the way people think about this. They're playing a game. They're playing a game for a living, and they're making millions. And everyone looks at that and says, I'm not risking my, you know, they're not risking their own money for this like an owner would. Um, they're out there getting paid a lot to play a game. Just be okay with that and play the game that we love and want to watch. I understand that reaction. I'm not really coming down on one side or the other. Quite frankly, I don't know enough about the inner workings of the business to tell you what side I come down on and who's right or who's wrong, players or owners. But that's why a majority of Americans will come down, not on the side of the owners, but against the players. Yeah, well, people, this. I think, tend to fail to incorporate enough into their thinking. Short career span, certainly in the NFL, it's the shortest, which is why NFL players never win because they're not willing to sit out in their prime years. But baseball players, too. And, yeah, they make great money, but not for very long. And so the low-ranking baseball players, these guys you're talking about who are getting a $125,000 raise at base salaries, but may, I mean, who may only play a year or two. But still, it's $615,000. Yes. That's, but, that's, that's the proposed league minimum wage for a baseball player in year one is $615,000. Every American would take that for two years, say, now I'll go to work somewhere else if I don't make it. Right, but if you've played four or five years of major minor league ball to get there, you've made virtually nothing during that time. Uh, and you may have shared uh, an air mattress apartment with six other guys well, to get there to make that. But th to me, and that's a separate. to factor that in. That's a separate business issue. If these owners are saying that we're so hard up for cash that we have to treat our players this way, then get rid of the league. Then those players can go make money doing something else if the conditions are that bad. They don't have to play. And then you don't have to have the teams. And we can have a double A AA and triple A and that be it. 
for your farm system and get rid of some of these rookie ball. And we don't need a team in Tupelo, Mississippi. I see what you're saying, but you can't blame these guys. The other American thing is to not blame a guy for chasing his dream. And so this guy chases his dream for four years because he's, he's been told that he's got a chance to make the majors as, as a catcher. And so he's catching as many games as he can because he's chasing the dream. And everybody tells you in America, don't give up and go for it. So when he finally gets there and he's making whatever this minimum salary is, everybody's saying, oh, you're a big famous ball player making all that money. Don't complain. Well, we don't have the full context of what he's complaining about. Maybe, and he wants it to be better for the next guy, and I, I don't begrudge him. Yeah, for that. I don't. And look again, I don't know which side I come down on or which side I favor on this. Um, but I do think it's different from the NFL, where you can't just blanket say, "Well, these billionaires are making billions off the game." A lot of these teams aren't making that type of money, so there are business interests they have to look out for and be smart about. And Major League Baseball players, we know they're making a lot of money. Even guys, the minimum salary for Major League Baseball making a, a lot of money, but the detriment to your sport, if you don't have a season, you have to be smart about the business of it. Your union has to look out for you. You have to be willing to not play if the league doesn't bend at all, but you also, Paul, have to factor in the cost of that. Oh, that's damage. And I think there's a lot the, of damage to the we, business. Can't we ever see the two sides work in each other's interests enough that you say, listen, this is a very pressing and we have to work this out. At the same time, we play under the old agreement. We have to meet every day. We have to lock ourselves in a room, but we can't not play because it damages the product we're trying to fix. So at the very time we're trying to solve these issues, we're making things worse for both sides by not playing. So I, I know maybe this is completely naive on my part. I, I don't have business sense whatsoever. But isn't there some kind of possibility that they can get some smart people involved and you and I can work on the two sides over here while the games go on over there at the same time so we don't hurt the very product that we're trying to, to fix? It has to be a way. One, one other reason I think that, and it's a good point, one other reason I think that people side oftentimes with management in this situation, which is a weird thing, management over the employment and the players, is that the players aren't paying the marketing people or the groundskeepers. It's the ownership that's doing that, and they lose jobs too. When this isn't happening, people that work game days, that are doing game day operations, that are working concession stands, that are working the grounds, whatever it may be, local businesses. You know, the owners aren't paying them directly, but the team pays them with home games and home series. I feel bad when you really broaden this thing out and look at the whole thing. I feel worse for them than anything else because they have to be sitting there thinking, for a lot of them, you know, I'm making $40,000 a year, whatever it may be, off of baseball. And this guy who's making $17 million can't come to an agreement with his union and the ownership with a billionaire, and because of that, I don't have a job. And this is on the heels of us just making it through the pandemic year, which you know we haven't recovered from still, uh, for all of them, in, in a lot of ways. A lot of people working connected to baseball haven't recovered from, and now they're going to suffer for it a again. It, it sucks. Well, and, and I just want to be able to flip on the TV and see – pinstripes step into the batter's box and strike out and disappoint me again. And look, again, it's something that next week is the week where they're going to meet supposedly for a complete week and try to get this thing done. My hope is they get it done next week. We have baseball. Maybe it's a week later. 
I think March 31st was the, was the original opening day. Maybe it's a few days after that. Don't want this thing to go on too long because, as we've seen with the attention span of this country with sports, people will X you, you out quickly if you're not around. And uh, it would be very detrimental to the sport of baseball. So The one thing baseball has out. going for it, I'll, I'll say, is that it doesn't require fandom, right? If you're in the city and the ballpark's open, it's something to do on a Tuesday night, on a Friday night, on a Saturday afternoon with your family. And it doesn't require fandom the same way a lot of other sports do. You're not going to an NBA game with no interest in the NBA game. Unless maybe you're a businessman that happens to be in the city that night and you're like, I'll go, you know, take a look. But baseball to me Dylan more Taylor than, just did that in L.A. Baseball, went to Crypto.com Do you not agree? Baseball to me more than anything is a night out because you're outside yeah. enjoying well, that's, And that's the argument the for weather, minor league Looking baseball. at the grass. And and, yeah. and and having a beer, more so than any other sport. Well, and the, that, that mindset you're talking about is why we have guys sleeping on cots in Tupelo, Mississippi. Because the argument is, well, we need it in our town because it's a great family night out. And we bring the church groups out on Tuesday night. You know, that, that's so... Star Wars night. Again, it's, it's not good for the sport. Hopefully it gets done next week. Something that will get done in our next segment, we're going to be talking with Jason Fitzgerald, overthecap.com. We're going to get into all the quarterback controversy, lay everything out, around quarterback offseason in the NFL and really get down to what's real, what's not in terms of salary cap problems or teams that have it really good right now when in terms of the salary cap. So we're going to talk about that and all things NFL with Jason Fitzgerald of OverTheCap.com. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. You're going to hear a lot this offseason. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless, from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well across the NFL about teams that are in great cap position, teams that are in salary cap hell. We're going to try to separate fact from fiction with a guest, Paul, that you know and you really enjoy his work. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap uh, is expert at these things. I, uh, he must not remember a few years ago when I was starting my site and we recorded a podcast and uh, I had to reach out to him and tell him that my, uh, my guys blew it and it disappeared. So uh, he, he must be very trusting that I've got better guys. You guys <laughs> be on top of your game back there. Jason, I apologize again for that. We'll do, we'll do a much better job today. 
Thanks. You know, now, now that you mentioned it, I, I think I actually remember that <laughs> from a couple of years ago. We did a pretty good discussion, I think, on the Titans for yeah. like 20 minutes or so. The lost discussion, the lost Titans uh, salary cap tape. This will this will reappear like the Nixon yeah, tape. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, reappearing. It's I guarantee you that because they they looked gone. They looked everywhere on the internet for this. Uh, you did a a. Uh, uh, a stat that you combined projected cap room, draft capital, and snaps potentially to be lost to free agency. You combine that all in something. Finally, the Jets are, are number one at something. Um, Jets are number one. Bucks are number 32. How much does this mean that the Jets uh, couldn't, can get good and that the, the Bucks are doomed? We may have lost Jason there? for a second. Can you hear yeah, us, Jason? Yeah, I think I lost you for a second there. Yeah. Yep, I'm back on here. Uh, you know, the the Jets have a lot of uh, opportunities to get better this year. I, I think that's the that's really the main thing. doesn't mean they're going to be a good football team. It just means they have two avenues to really get a lot better. Um, they can choose who they want to go after in free agency. They can kind of pick and choose what they want to do in the draft. They're not tied down to anybody. So that's kind of why you look at them as being in good shape for the year. Uh, Some people, I think, take that the wrong way and think that means they're a good football team. You know, they're pretty far ways away from being that. We see teams every year dig out of big salary cap holes. Um, The other teams don't do it as well. Uh, uh, And a lot of fans like to say the salary cap is, is fake, so to speak, in terms of what it means in terms of handcuffing a franchise how much are some of these franchises that are in real cap trouble the saints say how easy is it for them to dig out how much is it a case-by-case basis how much should should fans who hear their teams in big trouble worry or how much should they should they think that there are mechanisms that teams can get out of trouble with relative ease so I think when you look at the teams you just kind of have to look at um you know where they're kind of set up for the future uh, you know, for a team like the Saints, they've already mortgaged their future. So, I mean, they, they won't have any problems getting under the cap. Uh, the question is just going to be, is there a point where it catches up with them, which you you would imagine will have to happen in the future. Uh, you know, you look at a team like the Falcons, for example, the, the Falcons were a mess last year with the cap uh, that's carried over to this year. Um, you know, so I, I think you try and look at teams in two year windows and you see, can you take a, a lot of pain now and does that kind of save you in the future or do you end up like a team like the Falcons where you really have to deal with a salary cap crunch for at least two seasons? So let's look at the, the Super Bowl champions. Now the Los Angeles Rams who Jason looks like they've mastered the art of mortgaging the future uh, for the now in terms of moves that they have made, but let's look at that two year window for them. Is there a way or a route for them to quote unquote, run it back with a number of their free agents and their guys in a one year window next year and does that catch up to them in 2023 now when you look at their cap situation? So they'll be fine. If they, if they want to run it back, um, you know, they'll be able to run it back very similar to what the Buccaneers did. Um, but, you know, as you can see from the Buccaneers ranking uh, for the way that we looked at it, Buccaneers are kind of in a little bit of a pickle this year. So I, I think when you, you take a look at the Rams and you would say, well, they could do it that way, you know, do Von Miller on like a one-year deal with a bunch of void years and stuff like that in there. Um, you know, they, they just have to kind of weigh that uh, because you're also going to have Stafford that's going to look for an extension, um, if not this summer, uh, certainly next year, he's going to be a free agent. So, um, you know, they'd have to look at that. 
So I think they can run it back. I think they'll be okay running it back, but I think that they'll probably be cautious with it, just knowing that they have a couple of things they have to deal with, um, especially at the quarterback position in 2024. So there's potential for a lot of quarterback movement through trade. We know, I don't know how much of it comes to fruition. I'd like to use Ryan Tannehill as an example, even though I don't think the Titans uh, will uh, want to move him or will be able to manage to move him if they want. Um, His cap number is $38.6 million this year. Um, 4.6 of that came since they restructured for the great Julio Jones, who they got so much out of this year. If they traded him now, my understanding is uh, they would take a $28.4 million hit. They would save $10.2 million. If they traded him after June 1st, they'd, they'd save a lot more. They'd save $29 million. Talk to us about the implications of trading a big money player, quarterback or not, what it does for your cap, accelerating all the bonus for you now, as opposed to what it does on the cap of the team you're trading the guy to. So, you know, if you're the, if you're the ones doing the trade, um, you know, for a contract like this, where that's a lot of dead money, um, that's basically resetting your roster. Uh, if you make a move like that, that, that's kind of going for a reset, unless you know that you can bring back a player like an Aaron Rodgers. You know, if you were doing like a trade, like a one for one, then that obviously that wouldn't happen here. Um, you know, you're kind of resetting your franchise when you do that because you're taking just a big number uh, in dead money for a team that acquires them. You know, they have to have the money to be able to take on their salary for the year, which in his case is 29 million. So of his $38.6 million cap hit, another team would have to have $29 million in space um, just to take on the contract. So, I mean, that, that's a lot of cap room that somebody would have to have to take on Tannehill as well. Um, it, it's kind of a difficult one to, for me to see, as a trade um, just in the way that Tennessee is structured right now. And kind of the way I, I would imagine they would view their, their window still kind of sort of being open. Um, that'd be a tough one for me to see uh, this season. Is there something you've heard or read that's easy for you to see, or at least easier for you to see in terms, doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers, but a quarterback deal that you think, you know, could make sense given the cap situation of both teams. I don't know. You know, it's really hard. You you read and you hear about all these rumors all the time. Um, You know, the the most logical landing spot for any of these quarterbacks, given the cap situations, is probably Denver. Um, You know, if if you look at any team, uh, not that they have a quarterback to really offer in return. um, That's really the team that I think logically makes sense from a need standpoint and from a um, salary cap standpoint where they can do it. A lot of these other ones, you know, where people talk about trading a Kirk Cousins or a Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, in in a lot of those cases, I I think the teams that are trading them away are going to have to eat salary. And I I think Tannehill would fall into that same category as well. Um, So you you hear about a lot of these things, but when you start working out the numbers and you see the cap room that teams have and where they are with the positions, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for most of these teams to make those kind of moves. You know, and I'm looking at your your ranking of teams that are in the best cap position to teams that are in, in the worst off off season position. Philadelphia is right there at number two. They they were a playoff team. Uh, what do you think about the job they've done in terms of the salary cap and possible you know maneuverability this off season with the room they have? 
So, yeah, so Philadelphia is by far the most proactive team in the NFL when it comes to working with the salary cap. Uh, you know, people would have looked at them last year and been like, they're just a nightmare um, with that. And they work their way through it. They're, they're just really ahead of the curve with the stuff they do. Um, you know, and they, they have a, a decent roster. Uh, they still have a little bit of flexibility. They'll have a big decision as to what to do with Fletcher Cox this offseason. Uh, but they can make a little bit of noise if they want to. You know, they, they can make a signing or two uh, if they want to in free agency. Um, obviously, they have a lot of draft picks. And I would imagine that's really what they're going to be focusing on is uh, building through that draft. But they, they just do a, a really terrific job um, with looking at the future uh, with their, their roster management so they don't get into uh, too many troubles that you see some of these other teams get into. Jason Fitzgerald from the excellent uh, salary cap and contract website over the cap, our guest. What about um, the Colts? A lot of people here in Nashville, and we have obviously listeners and viewers in Indianapolis, curious about them. Uh, a, a strong report from Mortensen that, that they're going to move on from Carson Wentz, a difficult move to make. His regular season numbers were not horrible. The team obviously lacked a certain heart and gumption at the end of the year. Um, and, and Reich went to bat for him. They gave up what turned out to be a first and second rounder for him. If they were to give up on him now, um, how much punishment would they take from the salary cap angle there? And, uh, and, and how much would that be? These teams, like you talked about Philly, Philly withstood the big salary cap hit of dealing Wentz, like, like you talked about, you really have to uh, endure a hole in, in your, in your cap when you deal one of these guys. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, they, they would, if they had to get rid of him, you know, they owe him $15 million, um, you know, if they were to, to cut him. So yeah, I would think that, uh, you know, that they, they, they would, I don't know if they want to eat 15 million, uh, you know, it, for, from a cap perspective, they can deal with it. Cutting him a check for $15 million to not be on the team can be a little bit painful. Um, but they, they might do something like that. Obviously fell out of favor. I, I think if you were the Colts, you know, they rushed into that trade last year uh, that they, they made that trade. I think in February um, they came to the decision that they were going to do that trade and they didn't really wait to see the to let the draft process play out because when you saw the way that a couple of those quarterbacks fell in the draft, uh, Justin Fields and Mac Jones, I think in particular, they could have traded away a number one pick and they could have gotten a cheap rookie quarterback. Uh, they could have gotten one of those two guys to you know by moving up in the draft, very similar to what Chicago did. But they had already kind of uh, made that decision to go with Wentz, and uh, obviously that that backfired on them. Uh, so I, I think if they they could get a chance to do it all over again, I think they'd just be more patient with it. And they may have seen a, a very different result for what they have on the team this year. How did you get started in this? What what was your background? Uh, how did you make the connections that to, to get access to the numbers? And, uh, and why did you decide to become an a, um, internet cap guru? I was just a football fan and still am a football fan. And sadly, I'm a fan of the Jets. I think most people that follow the site and certainly that follow my Twitter feed know that. Condolences. Um, yeah. So, you know, I uh, I started it when people would talk a lot about the Jets salary cap and not a lot of people really had much information on it. So I would try and track down a couple of reporter numbers from things like that. I said, let me see if I can build a website for it. And I kind of just built from there. Uh, started with the Jets, built out to the AFC East, and then said, let's see if we can try something with the entire league. 
and never really expected it to kind of catch on the way that it did. Um, you know, with, with the way that we kind of report on the stuff and kind of, I think, help out everyone kind of understand the numbers, put it in better context and let people have a little bit uh, more of a higher level discussion on the salary cap and roster construction um, than where things were, say, 10 years ago. The Chargers seemingly are, are right there, you know, to be a contender but with Justin Herbert at quarterback. How active could they be this offseason from a cap position based on where they stand right now? So they, they should be in uh, pretty good shape, um, the, the Chargers. They, they have the third most cap room, I think, in the NFL this year. Um, you know, this is, this is the year that team has to go for it. I don't see that there's, there's any way that the Chargers can sit there and sit on the money and say, okay, we're not going to spend this year. You know, they, they didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, they have them on the cheap part of the rookie deal for the next two seasons. If you're going to go for it, I mean, this is when you go for it. You got to make your move to try to overtake the Chiefs, um, you know, compete in the playoffs. Clearly, they have the quarterback to do it. So they, they have to be active in free agency, I think, this year, even if it means taking a lot of risks, um, just to see if they can kind of hit those few home runs uh, to get them over the top. Baker Mayfield got his fifth-year option, I'm imagining, right? What What's Cleveland uh... – that seems to me like a real stuck situation where you've got the four years, the fourth year doesn't tell you any answers. You've got a pretty good roster built around the guy, but now the CBA begins to dictate to you what the, what the price is and the price is pretty damn steep. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, it happens with all these quarterbacks. Uh, it's kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't. Um, you, you don't have any other options that are out there. So with the information they had on hand, they, they said they would take a shot with Mayfield and stick with them. No different than, uh, you know, the Panthers did with Darnold and Darnold didn't have nearly the success that Mayfield had, uh, had had at the time. Um, you know, they picked it up. And I think now, I think you go into this season, probably with a short leash. Uh, I don't believe Case Keenum uh, avoided his contract. He, he had an ability to avoid his contract, but I think he'll still be there as the backup. And I think you give a very short lead to Mayfield this offseason. Uh, you know, and if you have to make the turn to Keenum and hoping catch lightning in a bottle with him again, I think that's what you have to do. We saw the Titans got out of a Dory Jackson's fifth year option. It was the last year you could, you could it wasn't guaranteed fully. Um, and they changed their mind on him, obviously saved a ton of money when they did. He became a free agent, went to the Giants, got a pretty good deal. But how much of that changed things? And, and were you surprised to see that as, uh, as a change that the league gave into in terms of guaranteeing uh, those fifth-year options, or were most I, of them executed anyway? I, most of them had been executed anyway, and the, the prices on them for a lot of the players are actually low compared to the market, uh, you know, if you were to actually extend those players. So I, I wasn't too surprised when they put that in there. Uh, but, it, but it has changed, you know, a little bit of that decision-making because now – you know, kind of before you were protecting yourself, it was like with a, with a player like a Mayfield, it was like, well, you know, the other option then is, you know, we, we'd have to do a franchise tag or, you know, pay the a, even bigger money on an extension. And, you know, th this gives us a little bit more options with the contract. And I, I think now you just have to think twice about it because you can't get out of it. And, you know, it, it's a, they could be a pretty big money deals. Um, you know, if you're stuck, if you're stuck with a, $20 million quarterback who can't play, um, you know, that that's just a, a waste on your roster. This is an idea I've had that I've never really uh, 
stretched out with somebody with the knowledge that you have. And I don't know what the alternative would be. But if you didn't have to accelerate all the, all the bonus money when you traded a guy, it would obviously free things up for more player movement. I don't know that the league would – maybe it would be too much player movement. Fans would love it. Um, I don't know what the alternative is. Maybe you could keep the proration as it was or, or measure it out over two or three years or something like that. What would you think about a, a change like that that didn't make a trade hurt so much for the team that was dealing a guy. So I, I think that the two ways they could do that is one, you know, where, where you talk about doing a post June one uh, designation on a cut player. Um, if, if they would let you do a post June one, uh, you know, I, I think that would actually kind of push teams to do stuff like that a little bit more um, because you, you'd be pushing the contract obligations onto a new team um, right away but you could get that benefit of deferring those accelerated salary cap charges to the following year uh, by doing something like that. I mean, the other thing, which I'm surprised the league has never done, and and I think would be interesting where you have these teams with a lot of cap room would just legitimately be trading salary cap space for a player. Um, They, they don't do that, but that, that would offset a lot of the costs. And I know some teams have gotten creative with kind of doing those things. Um, kind of skirting the rules to kind of do that. Yep. Um, But I I think that would actually be a really interesting thing. If you just said, look, if you're the chargers, you know, just use them as an example. And, you know, they, they wanted a high level uh, wide receiver from another team. You know, if the Mike Williams leaves in free agency or something like that, you know, they just offset the cost for the other team by trading them $20 million in cap room that they have. And, you know, just kind of let that offset it. I, I think that would actually be a lot of fun. I, I think fans would have a lot of fun with that. Teams, I think, would be really creative with it. Um, I, I think that would be something that they should explore, but they've never done that. And they, they've been kind of working on the same system now for, oh, gosh, I don't even know how many years this is, uh, close to 30 years, I guess, with the salary cap. So. Um, it probably never changed, but I, I think it'd be good to, uh, to get more creative on the league end for this. Uh, so teams would have a lot more options. I'm getting signals from my people that this is actually aired. It's going to be part of our podcast. Uh, you've we got, just got a thumbs up, Jason, uh, uh, cross my heart. This is uh, actually function. Jason Fitzgerald from over the cap. Really appreciate the visit. Very informative stuff. We will come back to you if you will take my call. Appreciate it very much. All right. Thanks guys. Have a good one. It's every other appearance for Jason. Yeah. We'll have him on next time. That won't be on podcast. That won't air. Then the next time after that, Paul, he'll he'll join. Jacob us. Swanson the, will mess that one up. That's the other. Yeah, so someone's gonna mess that one up. Uh, not you this time, but but someone else maybe. Good info. There's a lot of stadium talk out there. Stadium talk in Nashville. Stadium talk in Oakland. We're gonna get into all of it when we come back. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Welcome back, Outkick 360, live from the 6th and Peabody Broadcast Studios, downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow, Paul Koharski, alongside Jonathan Hutton. Well-deserved day off. Having a lot of fun on this Friday. Nashville, Tennessee may be having a little bit more fun or less fun, depending on your point of view, because yesterday the story from Nate Rao from Axios is that the city, the team, the Titans, they're considering brand-new downtown stadium basically on the site of their current stadium on the east bank of the river. Paul, you've got a lot of thoughts on retractable roof versus indoor stadium versus outdoor football. 
The Titans went into this originally wanting a Miami Hard Rock Stadium-type upgrade, but after looking into it, they thought something was going to be $600 million in renovations suddenly looked like $1.2 billion in renovations, and I likened it yesterday to something goes wrong with your car, the car's older, you find out it's going to be $3,000 to fix the car, replace it, and you decide, I'll just pay three, four times that amount and go buy a new car. That seems to be the position the Titans are in right now. Yeah, and uh, look, if you're at $1.2 billion for a uh, renovation, uh, the last open-air NFL venue was Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. That cost $1.2 to $1.3 billion in 2014. MetLife uh, in 2014 cost $1.6 billion. So, I mean, you have to add in inflation there. You go indoor, U.S. Bank in Minneapolis cost $1.6 billion in 2016. That's a phenomenal venue. Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas cost $1.9 now, I haven't been there. Jim Wyatt, our, our friend, was there for the Pro Bowl. He, he put it on par with Minneapolis. Um, so those are two spectacular buildings. Retractable roof doesn't do it for me. Listen, it's very showy. It's a one-upsman thing to me. In, in Houston, they went six years at one point without opening the roof. In Indianapolis, they opened the roof a quarter of the time. I don't, I don't think it's, it's worth it. I just think it's too showy. I'm against indoor, but look, we talked about it yesterday. It opens the world to you in terms of Final Four, winter concerts. The Titans could play on Sunday. You could have something on Monday or Tuesday, and it doesn't get in, in your way. So, And if, if the difference between outdoor and indoor is not that, that expensive, the return the city gets out of it in terms of it being a year-round venue, in terms of being a Final Four rotation city and all of that stuff, it's probably worth it. So go ahead and be indoor. Now people, you know, in, in the column I wrote at my site start saying, well, then you've got to, you know, do the thing like uh, Arizona where you could bring in and out the two different surfaces and all. Well, you're adding billions of dollars as yeah, soon why? as you start talking about that. Why do you it's, have to do that? Well, they want grass. You know, indoor grass. Well, well the indoor last grass thing, is really I, I, expensive. I'm telling you, though, with the, and it's gotten a lot better, granted. But the last thing the Titans want is to deal with grass. <laughs> that's going to be one of the big benefits is not having to have a field that's brown late in the season like they've had in the past if they have an artificial surface you say in an indoor stadium. until you see the first Odell Beckham Jr. injury on the turf. Which yeah, I mean, just have, have – but have, have good turf. There's not a lot of places that are known for bad turf across the NFL. But it's more frequent on turf that a guy takes that step and has that injury than it is on grass. It's just the fact of the matter. So you're, you're accepting that sacrifice for your franchise as part of the trade-off. I, and that's I just part think of the there's trade-off. two, so there's two different ways to view this whole thing. I mean, it's not two different ways to view it. There's two segments of this story that are completely different from each other. One is the NFL Titans, Titans fan perspective of need or lack thereof of a brand new stadium and whether or not you want it to be indoor. That is, uh, you know, an eight regular season, two preseason possible playoff game deal. Ten games a year. The other part of it is you're building an enormous outdoor venue that's going to attract the biggest events in America. And it will happen. I have no doubts about the city of Nashville that if they have a dome on that bank of the river and there's development around it, which there will be, you're getting a college football national championship game. You're getting a Super Bowl eventually. 
Uh, you're getting a Final Four. You're getting all these things, outdoor concerts that you mentioned. So th- there's two different lens to, to view the story from. From a football perspective and as a football fan, I'd rather them have an outdoor stadium that's really nice like a MetLife that you mentioned. Because I like outdoor football. I like football and grass also. But from the business city of Nashville perspective, Indoors away to I go. totally understand wanting the event. And you said this when we were chatting off air. Let's not call it a dome. Indoor facility. Because a dome makes you think of uh, Astrodome, RCA Dome, Hoosier Dome. Dome. Those places are outdated. It's no longer a dome. Metro it's an indoor, uh, uh, indoor venue is, is a better yeah, way I'm, to I'm, put it. You're picturing Minnesota, Allegiant, these newfangled. Uh, the difference is I'm picturing something that doesn't look like the, you know, the roof of the old Astrodome or Metrodome. Yeah, it's you not know, a lid. Like it's yeah, not it's, a lid. Exactly. It's, a, it's an indoor venue, indoor stadium. The other thing Large this does for me, venue. Chad, this ends the hope of a baseball stadium in Nashville unless you get a billionaire financier who wants to come and build it. But I can't see the city of Nashville in a span of 20 years building a soccer stadium, a multi-billion dollar, uh, probably $2 billion football stadium, and then getting in the business of baseball without it being I financed by a, an owner. I, I, think, I think Nashville is in prime position to do all of it. Even with all the resistance to the soccer stadium, that got pushed through. That's, that happened. And that's a low budget Now thing. this is going to happen if they want to push it through. I mean, you've got the current mayor leaking it, clearly, from the politics side to Nate Rao. He wants that out there for a reason. He wants to get reelected. He wants this to be a big part of his reelection campaign. I'm the one leading the charge for the stadium. It's not going to stop there. Well, I don't think this is going to stop the city and all the money coming in. They're talking like this isn't going to cost much money for the city because River North is going to pay for it. Well, River North is going to cost a lot of money. Top NFL free agent discussion when we come back. This is OutKick 360.